we've seen that um, each of us, and we've heard that each of us has a network, a specific network of people that God has put us in, in a time and space that God has placed us in for a purpose. And we've asked some questions. We've said, would you begin to look at those people in your network with gospel intentionality? Would you begin to pray for them with gospel intentionality? Would you begin to serve them last week with gospel intentionality? Today, um, we will ask this. Would you begin to show hospitality to them with gospel intentionality? Hospitality is a very interesting uh, thing. It brings together so much of what the gospel would call us to. It brings together a ministry of mercy. Um, It brings evangelism. It brings caring for the sick and caring for the poor. All of those things together. And as we look at the Bible, if we were to to start at the beginning and go to the end, there are so many places where we see this lived out among um, a great legacy of saints. We see it from Abraham and Sarah in Genesis chapter 18, where they are um, hospitable, generously hospitable towards the Lord and um, others. We see it in Joseph as he cares for his brothers after they betray him. Uh, we see it in Boaz as he cares for Ruth and Naomi. In Nehemiah, in Nehemiah 5, we see Nehemiah set 150 of his men at his table um, and feed them and eat with them. We see it in David. He welcomes a crippled man in his, into his a home named Mephibosheth. In the New Testament, we see in 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 1, in both of these places, they tell us that hospitality is a qualification to be an elder, to be a pastor. We were talking about this yesterday in our house. I mean, we hear about pastors going to preach in view of a call, but, but to be hospitable in view of a call, it's a qualification of an elder, of a pastor. Um, The scripture has a high view of hospitality. Paul writes in Romans 12, he says, seek to show hospitality. He says, do good to those that are among you and seek to show hospitality. Over and over again, the scriptures address hospitality. And we're going to look at that today. God is definitely a hospitable God. In the garden, in Genesis, we have Adam and Eve where they sin, they rebel against God and they clothe themselves with fig leaves and God himself takes the skin of an animal and clothes, he provides for them in clothing them. In the Exodus, God is feeding and watering them, watering from a rock and nourishing them with manna uh, from heavens. Their sandals never wear out. The promised land is one that is said to be flowing with milk. And honey, he's providing and Jesus shows up and he is called. He, he, he earns this title of friend of sinners and he gets that reputation because he is always eating with them, dining with them, being hospitable toward them. The early church even practiced hospitality. Peter and Paul, mighty men in the New Testament, Peter and Paul, they exhort the early church towards hospitality. And all of this, all of this, all of these examples are truly a shadow of something 
greater. In Revelation 19, we could read about, we talked briefly about in Bible study this morning, but in Revelation 19, we read about the marriage supper of the Lamb. And all of history is moving toward that moment, if you will. In, in the Old Testament, in Isaiah chapter 25, he writes this, verse 6, The Lord of hosts will make for all peoples a feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wine, of rich food full of marrow, of aged wine well-refined. He goes on in verse 8 and he says, He will swallow up death forever and the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces and the reproach of His people He will take away from all the earth. We get this picture through in the, in the storyline of the Scriptures that God is a host. It's not all that He is, not the only thing He is, not the only attribute, but we get this imagery that God is the consummate Host. In fact, in Leviticus 19, God tells Israel, he says, welcome in the stranger. Do them no harm. Treat them as a native and love them as yourself. He says to this people, he says, I have welcomed you now. Welcome them. All throughout the scriptures, we see God welcoming and feeding and clothing and protecting and befriending and nourishing outsiders. Today in Luke chapter 14 is where we'll be. A very common parable, if you would turn there with me, we're going to we're going to look at verses one through twenty four. And here. As Luke writes, we have a couple of exhortations. We have two exhortations uh, from this passage. So we'll read through here a paragraph at a time and and then we'll work through these lines. But let's begin in verse one. Luke 14, verse one. One Sabbath. When he went to dine at the house of a ruler of the Pharisees, they were watching him carefully. And behold, there was a man before him who had dropsy. And Jesus responded to the lawyers and Pharisees saying, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? But they remained silent. Then he took him and healed him and sent him away. And he said to them, Which of you, having a son or an ox, that has fallen into a well on a Sabbath day, will not immediately pull him out. And they could not reply to these things. So it's, it's not rocket science. You can, you can hear what's happening here. There's a party that's been uh, planned and there's an invitation list that's gone out. And this leading Pharisee uh, is the host and they are watching Jesus carefully. They're attempting to trap him. They put a man before him, likely planted this man because it's, it's unlikely that this man with dropsy would have been invited had Jesus not been. So they, they put this man before him, a man with dropsy, and they don't ask anything, but Jesus responds anyway. And he responds to the fact that on the Sabbath, he's a guest in their home 
And here is this man before me who you wouldn't normally invite. He's here with me. So he responds to them with a question. Now, interestingly, if they respond no, then they lack compassion. If they respond yes, which would break the law, if they respond yes, then they break their own rule to heal on the Sabbath. So verse six, they couldn't reply to these things. This and there's also in verses four and five, the way he asked this question, he, he he took this man, he heals him, he sends him on his way. And he said to them, which of you having a son or an ox that has fallen into a well on a Sabbath will not immediately pull him out. They had this rule that would allow them to heal their animal on the Sabbath. So if their animal was was broken in some way, he would, they, this rule would allow them to heal, but not a person. So Jesus says to them, if you have a son or an ox, and they know the rule, they could heal their ox. And so Jesus, essentially, they, they're speechless. He's saying to them, you lack compassion. You're a compassionless people. You would heal your ox and not your son. Your own rules would not permit you to do that. So if we continue in verse 7. Jesus is going to take now this a normal custom of the day, a normal social custom, and he's going to teach a parable. He's going to make a point. So let's read verses 7 to 11. Now he told a parable to those who were invited when he noticed how they chose places of honor. So he's watching them. He says to them, when you're invited by someone to a wedding feast, do not sit down in a place of honor, lest someone more distinguished than you be invited by him. And he who invited you both will come and say to you, give your place to this person, and then you will begin with shame to take the lowest place. But when you are invited, go and sit in the lowest place so that when your host comes, he may say to you, friend, move up higher. Then you will be honored in the presence of all who sit at the table with you. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. You've seen something similar to this. My wife and I recently attended a wedding. It's a beautiful occasion in Dallas. And, and at the reception, in this incredible ballroom, and they had these tables that were beautifully decorated. And, but there were signs for the people that were supposed to sit there. You were not allowed to sit there if your name was not on the list. And that was for the bridal party. And so the, the, the bride and her groom and their... Maid of honor and matron of honor and all the bridesmaids and all the wedding party and the best man and the grooms. And they were all allowed to sit there. And so those that had the highest place of honor would sit nearest the bride and the groom, right? The best man and the maid of honor. And it was in a it was in a U-shaped a horseshoe or the letter U. And so the bride and groom were at the center and it went out from there and the wedding, the wedding party would would go. But there were tables scattered throughout and they had numbers on them and and uh but you were not allowed to sit at that. It's the way a wedding reception generally would work. And here is the same. The same principle is, is happening. And so the, the host would sit there and those close would sit very closely. And then others would sit on the periphery. So Jesus here, he is teaching about the kingdom. In verses 1 through six, he's teaching about compassion. He says what it means to be 
an agent in the kingdom, what it means to be a follower of the king is that you have compassion. In my kingdom, it runs this way. It operates this way. In verse 7 through 11, he's teaching about humility and this principle here in verse 11. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled and he who humbles himself will be exalted at this wedding reception. I had a role. They had asked me, would you would you pray before we eat at this wedding reception? I said, absolutely, I would love to. And so, you know, I didn't know when it was in the order. I didn't have a, an order of service. I, I was anxious. I didn't want them to have to call my name. And I was sweating because we're in a table over in the corner. And, and, uh, and so I go and I stand close. I'm like, okay, so am I supposed to stand right here? He said, no, you need to sit at your table. <laughs> like, oh, but I want to be close. I, I want to be right here. You, you need to sit at your table. This, this man that was orchestrating all, you need to sit at your table. We'll, we'll make sure you're, you know when to come up. There's a, there's a principle here that Jesus is pointing out. And he, he teaches this repeatedly. In fact, at least three times in, in the Gospel of Luke, we hear it. And it's recorded in other Gospels as well. It's, it's even rooted back into the Proverbs. But it's this this. What he states here in verse 11, and we, it's hard for us at times to wrap our mind around this because this principle is true sometimes in this life. Um, sometimes in this life, uh, we know people, maybe even us, we, we, we set out to exalt ourselves, to, to put our, ourselves in a place that is, we're recognized and we're noticed, and, but we're not humbled, right? Those people, they, they get there. And we're like, but this is true. So it's, this principle is true sometimes in this life, but it's always true in eternity. And Jesus is saying here, listen, in my kingdom, me as the king, the way this works is the agents of the king are compassionate and they are humble. To be part of the kingdom means there is humility, not self-exaltation. No one is beyond reach here. Jesus is in this place rebuking these guests. They're here. He's watching them. He's watching where they sit and he's rebuking them. Listen, it doesn't work this way, people. But then he turns. No one's out of reach. He turns to the host. I don't know how many parties you've been to, but there's conversation among the people that are there. But but it's kind of rude to turn to the host and say, hey, (laughs) this is not right. You're all wrong. I mean, but this is Christ. He's teaching a parable and he's he's teaching about the way it is in his kingdom. There's humility, there's not self-exaltation. Verse 12. He said also to the man who had invited him, when you give a dinner or a banquet, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or your rich neighbors, lest they also invite you in return and you be repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind. Jesus is saying here, the kingdom in verses 1 through 6 is about compassion. In 7 to 11, it's about humility. And here in verses 12, 13, and 14, he says, listen, the kingdom is about generosity And not reciprocity. It's not about what you get in return. It's about being a generous agent of the king. So one of the things that a compassionate, humble person does. 
One of the things they do is they practice counterculture hospitality. It's what he's driving home here. Now, I want to be clear what Jesus is not saying, okay? So he says, when you throw a party, if you have a party, if you have guests over, don't invite your friends, don't invite your brothers or your relatives or rich neighbors, okay? So that means the college lunch is off today. All of you are friends and neighbors and you're not invited. No, it's not what he's saying. He's not saying you can't have relatives over. He's not saying, okay, here's an excuse for you at uh, the next Thanksgiving to not be with that relative. That's not what he's saying here. He's not giving us a pass to avoid and ignore. No, because throughout the scriptures in the New Testament, especially we see Jesus eating with friends. He, He eats with Mary and Martha. He eats with the disciples. He dines with them. The early church ate together often. Jesus is making a distinction here, and this is, this is a major distinction. Jesus is making a distinction here from what, between what we call fellowship and hospitality. Fellowship is truly what happens among believers, those that are like-minded, like faith, brothers and sisters, those that have trusted in Christ. If you are here and you are in Christ, we get together, we dine together, we eat and we drink together, we enjoy each other, we play Uno together, and we play all of those games together, and we enjoy each other's company. But here he is, he's making a distinction between that because he's not opposed to fellowship. In fact, he expects it. He's talking about hospitality. This word literally means love of strangers. The love that you and I have for an outsider. We've used that term throughout the series. We get it from the Apostle Paul in Colossians. And Jesus is referring to how we are with outsiders. So he's saying in these two verses here, hey, don't limit your guest list to only friends and family. That's easy, isn't it? Like those that are like you, those that think like you and talk like you and and enjoy like you and dress like you in many ways and live like you in many ways, those that accept you, there's no fear of rejection there. Isn't that easy? And Jesus says, listen, do that. Be with those people. Be encouraged. But don't limit your guest list to only friends and family. In fact, he's really pressing them. He's really pressing them because he gives specifics about this. He says, listen, give preference to the poor, the outcast, someone who cannot repay you. Now, not not that they give you 625 for your lunch, but someone that might invite you to their party, right? You have a birthday party and you put friends on the list and you invite them because because your friend, you put that friend on the list because they throw great parties. They have bounce houses. They have water sprinklers. They have a swimming pool. They have a giant trampoline, whatever. They're on my guest list because I probably get to go to theirs, right? They're on my guest list because, man, when they have lunch, they, it's pork loin, it's brisket. I mean, it's, it's smoked meatloaf, right? (laughs) Okay. I mean, it's, they are on my guest list because they will and can repay me. And Jesus is really pressing them here. He's saying, listen, don't limit your 
your guest list to only friends and family, but I'll go beyond that. You need to seek out the outcast, the poor, the crippled, the lame. Why does he do that? Why does he do that? Because when you throw a party for people that can repay you, who is the party about? If I throw a party that's an invitation for people that can only repay me, they look like me, they dress like me, they live like me, there's no fear of rejections, rejecting me, and at some point they're probably going to invite me to their house to eat their food, and they cook much better than I do. Who is the party about? It's about me. And Jesus says, no, 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 no. When you invite the poor and the crippled and the lame and the blind, those that are outcasts, those cannot repay you. It's about the guest. It's about them. It's about someone outside of yourself. And so when I think about this, when I consider this, when I read texts like this, Jesus really teaches these parables to people that are going to be a part of his kingdom. This is what it is. It's what it means to be in the kingdom. It means that kingdom agents, those that are followers of Christ, are compassionate. They are humble and they are they are looking to be hospitable. They are looking with gospel intentionality toward the outsider. Those that can never repay you. When I consider that, I I made a list. What does it take for that to happen? What stands in the way of that? And very quickly, I think there are at least five deaths that you and I have to die. The first is the death of pride. Death of pride. It can be it can be reverse pride, right? Oh, I can't I can't have somebody over to my house. I don't have room. It's not I'm not a decorator. That's not my spiritual gift. Right. There are stains in the carpet. And we are constantly elevate so this death of pride the second one is the death of paybacks right when you look to someone that can never repay you it means you're going to have to die to paybacks you may never even get a thank you it's messy it may mess our homes up and i'm <laughs> I'm wrestling with that, okay? I'm like picking up, like we can't have too much, you know, my wife say amen if she was in here. I think she's in the nursery. But death to payback, it's going to be costly. The death of sensationalism, because there's a difference between entertaining and hospitality. Entertaining is about the host. If you're a great entertainer, it's about the host. The host knows how to do all of these things. But hospitality is about the guest, So it may not be sensational. It may be messy and ugly and hard. It may cost you. Gosh, man, they didn't stop eating. They kept going to the cabinet. I mean, I I had like two servings of mashed potatoes and they just kept going to the fridge, right? The death of sensationalism. Death of partiality. Have you ever examined your life to see if you, if, if you, if we are partial to certain types of people? Death of self-indulgence. This is where we get the difference between um, stewardship and ownership. 
I don't know if you've thought about that for very long, but we don't own squat. <laughs> we don't. Pay your house off. You still have to pay taxes, okay? You, you don't, we don't own squat. And at some point, it's all burning up. And we'll have a new heaven and a new earth. We have been put in a place of stewardship. So our home definitely needs to be a place where you can rejuvenate, where you can rest, where you can retreat. I, I get it. You're going, 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 going. You come home, you can close the door and close the garage door, close the front door, whatever. And you can go, man, this feels comfortable. We can take off our jackets. Our, we can wear no socks and no shoes with our ugly toes and our whatever. And this is safe. Okay? That's, whew. But our home is not only that. If your home is only that, it's an idol. If your home home is only a place for you to escape, it's an idol. And everywhere in the Bible that an idol exists, the Lord sets about destroying it. So we have to die to pride, to payback, to sensationalism, to partiality, to self-indulgence. There's two, I mentioned on the front end, there's two exhortations here. The first one was Jesus, as he teaches this parable, he says, invite outsiders to your feast, throw parties, have, have people over, have your friend over, have your aunt over, have your, you know, the guy that makes meatloaf that you love over, have the, you know, the, the, the person that makes the best casserole in the world over because they're your friend and, and all those things are true. Yes. And amen. Continue to do that. But, but invite the outsider. Don't limit your guest list. He's exhorting us to that. Invite an outsider to your feast. It's not an option. It's not either or. It's both and. And the second one comes in verses 15 to 24. Let's read that. When one of these, when one of those rather, who reclined at the table with him heard these things, he said to him, blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. But he said to him, a man once gave a great banquet and invited many. And at the, at the time for the banquet, he sent his servant to say to those who had been invited, come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said to him, I bought a field and I must go out and see it. Please have me excused. And another said, I bought five yoke of oxen and I must go to examine them. Please have me excused. And another said, I've married a wife. Maybe that sounds like we're getting somewhere, right? <laughs> I'm married. Excuse me, please. And therefore I cannot come. So the servant came and reported these things to his master. Then the master of the house became angry and said to the servant, go out quickly to the streets and the lanes of the city and bring in the poor and the crippled and the blind and the lame. And the servant said, sir, what you've commanded has been done and still there is room. And the master said to the servant, go out to the highways and hedges and compel people to come in that my house may be filled. For I tell you, none of those men who were invited shall taste my banquet. So the first exhortation we get in verses 1 to 14 is invite outsiders to your feast. 
Have them in your home. Take them out to dinner. Wherever it is you have a feast, invite them. And the second one here is invite outsiders to the king's feast. I mean, can you hear that in the words in this parable here in verse 15? As we read this, we hear from this man. Now, I don't know if you picked up on that or what you thought, but we hear from this man who's there. And Jesus is telling uh, this parable and he there is this man at this party that Jesus is at and he responds and and either he's trying to make the room less awkward or he's just not listening. Blessed is everyone that eats bread in the kingdom. It doesn't fit. It just doesn't fit. OK. And so he's likely this guy that um, when someone is preaching, Jesus is teaching and they're regularly thinking this is not for me. I don't know what he's saying here. This is not for me. I'm going to enter the kingdom. Blesses everyone. I'm blessed. Blesses everyone who eats bread in the kingdom. He assumes that he will be dining in the kingdom. And we know this. We know he's assuming because look at the very next word. This man, he's reclining there. He says, he makes this statement in verse 16. But, but he said to him, this man makes an assumption here and Jesus says, but I've got something to say about what you just said. You're making an assumption here. And so we have to be careful with presumptions. I'm not, I do believe that I have assurance of pardon in Jesus Christ. I do believe that I will eat at the table because Christ in my place took God's wrath. I believe that I have been assured of that, but we have to be careful about making presumptions, don't we? We live, we live in a place where it's presumed that the majority of people are Christians, don't we? I mean, don't we presume that? Where people look good, they smell nice. They have a nice home. Their yard is sometimes mowed. And so they're, they're good people. They donate to Kiwana. They bought a booster club card. They're at all the games. They're great people. They're not murderers. So we make these presumptions. And so I heard a man say one time, it goes like this. He said, I prayed a prayer. I threw a stick in the fire. I sang, Jesus, take the will. I did something religious. We have to be careful with presumptions. This man mouths these pious words, but I'm going to say he doesn't know the king. Blessed is everyone that eats bread in the kingdom. Lord bless you. And Jesus says, whoa, 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 wait a minute. I have something to say about that. The the invitation goes out. This party is ready. And look what begins to happen. These excuses begin to come. He says in verses 18 to 20, if we look at 18 to 20, Jesus is going to, as as we look at these excuses, and maybe you've never made any of them, we'll go through them in a moment, but Jesus is identifying a problem. He's, he's very specific about his excuses. He doesn't miss a word. He doesn't misspeak. Words really matter. And so he gives us these excuses. And they're not excuses that would, would require some apologetic argument, right? You don't need Wayne Grudem's systematic theology or Michael Horton's uh, theology of a pilgrim to unpack the excuses here, right? Now, those are important. Don't, don't mishear me. But Jesus gives us very real, earthy excuses. And he's going to show us that the problem, the problem exists in the heart of a person. 
we want more stuff. We want stuff more rather than we want Jesus. That's ultimately what he's pointing to. These people want these things more than they want me. Because they don't say, we're not going to come. Do you notice that if you read back through there? They don't say, we're never coming. I can't come right now. Right? I'll, I'll be there. Don't miss, don't miss, don't mishear me. I know I have an invitation and I'll be there at some point. That's, that's, that's basically their response. They're unwilling at that moment to die to self. And in verse 25, if we were to go there today, that's what Jesus teaches on this cost of discipleship. These excuses sound very silly with an eternal perspective. Listen, listen to them. But they all alike, literally, if you, if you, um, were to read that word, it's like they began responding all at once. All at once they began responding with excuses. And he says, the first says to him, I have bought a field and I must go and see it. Please have me excused. Have you ever bought a field without looking at it first? I mean, really? Do you, do you make a transaction and say, oh, I bought something, I need to go check it out? And then, he, then another one says, I bought five yoke of oxen. I must go examine them. I didn't take a good look at them. I bought five cows down at the cell barn. I need to go check them out. I mean, they, they may be lame. I have to call Doc Vary because they can't walk, right? They're, they're infertile. They all, everything else is wrong with them. I didn't check them out. I, need, I bought them. I need to go check them out now. No, you, you've been invited to the banquet of the king. Anybody ever received an invitation from the king? I haven't. One of my girls wrote a letter to the Queen of England one time. She wrote two. And she responded both times. It was quite remarkable. We threw a party in our home. A party. We got a royal letter in the mail. (laughs) Royal seal. Some of you have seen it, right? It's royal mail from Buckingham Palace. It was remarkable. But she didn't invite me to dinner. (laughs) Right? She didn't. The king has extended an invitation. This is a parable about the kingdom. Don't miss. We can't miss. It's not, not like, oh, yeah, they had a party and they're only serving grilled cheeses. We shouldn't go. This is a parable about the kingdom. And the... They make an excuse. The king has invited you. Come, the party's ready. Ah, I bought a field. Yeah, I got these ox, you know. Ah, I got to check it out. And another says, I have married a wife and therefore I cannot come. Now, newly married, uh, new, newlyweds, he would have been excused from war and other things. But a, par- a party at the king's house? I mean, how many of you at new, newly married... You get invited to a wedding and you don't really want to go, but you're like, it's going to be a great party. Date night, right? Free meal. Go. Go to the party. Why? Now, I know it's a parable. I'm being silly there. But, but how silly is this? I, I'm just newly married. We can't go on a date to the king's house. It's silly. I mean, have you ever not even shared the gospel with someone? You said, hey, man, why don't you come to church with me? I'd sure love for you to, to come to, to Rocky Point with me just one Sunday. Ah, uh, it's just not a good season in my life right now. What does that mean? Real, I'm, I'm serious. What does that mean? It's not a good season? The king is inviting you and it's not a good season? Ah, uh, 
That's my only day to relax. The king. NASCAR is on. And listen, NASCAR is great. I've been to the races. Record it with a DVR. And come. Come. Seriously. I mean, do you see how silly the excuses sound? Jesus is teaching about the kingdom. And he says, listen, people in my kingdom, they are compassionate. They don't have a stupid rule that says they can't heal their son on the Sabbath. No, they're compassionate. They are about others because the kingdom is not about them. It's about me and I am for people. In fact, it's so much about me that I'm about to go to the cross for them. And the kingdom is about humility. It's about humility. It's about looking at others and not elevating yourself above them. And that your practice is an indicator of your theology. People at this party. Oh, you won't have those people at your party. Why? Because they can't repay you. Because they smell. Because they smoke. Because they drink. Because they cuss. Because they're poor. Because they, are, they can't get to your door easily. And you may have to help them. You may have to do something different about your home to get them there. You need to die to that. That's what he's saying. People in my kingdom are humble. And people in my kingdom invite outsiders to the feast of the king. We've been invited to a table this morning. And if you're not a Christian, Colton rightly said, please refrain. What are you celebrating if you come to the table and you don't, you've never trusted Christ? You've never believed that he is your substitute. What are you celebrating? What are you eating? You're just going through some kind of religious motion. But he says, people in my kingdom, they invite, they invite people, they invite outsiders to the feast of the king. And there will be excuses. I have rarely heard. I have rarely heard those that require some significant theological study to respond to. I said, ah, it's just busy, man. I don't, it's not in our habit. We got out of the routine a few years ago. I, I heard that recently. I, I get it. I get it. I, stop, I start sleeping in and don't get up, you know, what, five o'clock or whatever. It's easy. You get out of routine. I don't I get it. But man, just come. Come. And here's the thing. Here's what I think is interesting about this. I, I generally don't hear those excuses when I invite somebody to my home. They generally don't say, I say, hey, come, come for burgers or, you know, I don't know. We're having turkey burgers and tater tots for dinner, okay? It's, we got home late. I, it's not a good season in my life, you know? I just, I can't do that. I've never heard that. Jesus is going to the heart. He's saying, do, do you love people? Do you love them enough to even have them in your home? Are you so consumed with yourself that you can't have someone in your home? You can't have them to your favorite restaurant. You can't be, have a love of strangers, be hospitable toward them. I am. Would we be a people that are hospitable? I mean, what if it was said of us? Man, they love their friends of sinners. I mean, we're in good company, right? I'm, I'm not trying to be 
silly there. I mean, I, in all sincerity, if someone said to you, man, you're just a friend of sinners. I know. <laughs> I know. It's messy. Your kids may hear someone cuss. <laughs> they might. Be ready with the gospel. They might smell smoke on someone. Be ready with the gospel. They may have experienced divorce multiple times. Be ready with the gospel. Are we a friend of sinners? And listen, I need to say this. If you are here today and you are not a Christian, I know most everyone in this room. I don't know everyone, but I know most everyone in this room. If you are not a Christian, what needs to happen? Really? What needs to happen? Would you refrain from stiff-arming God? Seriously. Would you stop giving Him a stiff arm and would you bow your knee? Would you hear an invitation? Yes to a table. But that tablecloth is going to get stained and we're going to take it to the cleaners and we're going to have to make more bread and we're going to pour more juice up and This is just a shadow. Would you bow knee because the king of kings, the Lord of hosts is welcoming you. He has provided for you in his son Christ. Would you stop making excuses? It is the right season of life. Today is the day for salvation. It it doesn't, it doesn't, Turn into a better season. It doesn't. Would you stop postponing and would you surrender to Christ? I don't listen. We don't have a big altar call and you come down and we declare you saved. Okay, we would be flippant to do that. But would you come talk to me? For goodness sakes, we are accessible here. Would you would you grab a friend? My goodness, would you grab a college student? Would you grab someone you see as a regular faithful woman, a man? And would you say, hey, can we grab lunch this week? Can we grab breakfast this week? Can I come to your house? And if they say no, <laughs> you let me know. We're going to exercise some church discipline. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. But really, would you, would you lay pride aside and would you say, man, I need to talk. I have been posing as a Christian for a long time. I have been making pious statements like that man at the table, and I have presumed I'm in the kingdom, but I've never trusted the fact that Jesus Christ took God's wrath in my place. I prayed a prayer. I sat at the campfire, and I sang, Jesus, take the wheel, but I don't know anything else. Would you today stop and have a conversation? Let us open the Bible with you. I have nothing else to offer you. If you are here and you are a Christian, someone, someone came to you and compelled you to come in, didn't they? I mean, I'm not aware of anyone having an experience on the road to Damascus in this room. Someone sat with you eye to eye, knee to knee, and said, maybe it was your mom at your bedside when you were 12 
or when you were nine, or maybe it was someone at camp, or maybe it was someone, a Sunday school teacher, an aunt, and an uncle, a grandparent, a mom, a dad. Someone, though, sat with you and compelled you to come in. They said, in, 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 in uh, simple ways and elaborative ways, in all of those ways in this room, someone said, would you come in? There's a feast. There's a king. He's a real king. I don't have it all figured out. But would you, would you come? Would you come to the banquet? Would you come? So if that's you, if that is you, those that have heard that compelling conversation, you, you sat and you listened, and in that moment, I mean, think back. Do you remember? I remember the first time I really heard with spiritual ears the gospel. Really, I remember that. Daryl used the Roman road. And you don't have to only use the Roman road. But I heard because I was this good, moral kid. And I heard for the very first time that all of that was filthy rags to the king. All of it, all of my morality was filthy rags to the king. And I heard that. And I said, yes, yes, yes. I was 17 years old. If that is you, if that is you, I'm pleading with you. I'm pleading with you to go and invite outsiders to your party. I've had more gospel conversations around a meal than I have anywhere else ever. I eat with a lot of people At all places in town and in our home. And I've had more opportunity to open the Bible in those moments than I have sitting right here after service or in Sunday school. This is necessary. This we will we never, ever, 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 Lord willing, refrain from opening God's word for God's people on the Lord's day. But when we leave this place, if we are on Mission, one of those things mean that we need to be a people that look to outsiders and that have compassion and humility and invite them into our home. Would you do that? And take that opportunity to invite them, to invite them to the king's party. Listen, it may not happen on the very first time they come. You may eat a meal and have a great time and play Uno or Monopoly and they go home. And you don't have to beat yourself up that you didn't. Oh, I didn't share the gospel. What if they die on the way home tonight? This is you are not going to change God's plan. But faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So would you invite them in a second time? (laughs) Would you go to the ball game with them? Would you go to the park with them? Would you have gospel intentionality toward the outsider, the poor, the outcast? You know who the outcast is? We have a few in the room, so I, I hope you take no disrespect to this. I learned this um, from a man when I was at First Baptist Justin. He said, Josh, you know there was a day when people depended on me. I flew gliders in the war. I commanded men. When I came back, I worked, I was a I was an executive for General Dynamics and people depended on me. They needed me. They trusted me. They called me. They, they didn't text. This was a long time ago. But 
I was needed and respected. He said, then I got old. People don't call anymore. I'm a burden to most people. Now, that's not a guilt. But, I mean, listen, the outsider is not someone with some kind of physical deformity necessarily, right? Just look at your circle. Who's, who's not there? Who's outside of you? Who's, who, is, who are you not regularly with? And would you invite them in? Would you invite them to your feast? Invite your friends and family to that feast as well, right? Brothers and sisters can share the gospel with, with, with outsiders, with lost people. Would you invite them in? And would you have compassion? And would you have humility? And then at some point, would you open your mouth? And with words from this book, would you share the glorious gospel? And they may say, it's not a good season of life. And you can say, it's not going to get any better. Today's the day for salvation, right? And you can just keep being faithful and keep inviting over for grilled cheese. And they'll come eat it. And we would trust that the Lord would do his work. We plant and we water and God gives the increase. Let's pray. Father, would you, by your word this morning, would you continue to to call out the one that is outside of Christ? Draw them in. And I would pray that this morning that they would say, yes, yes. To your son Christ. Father by your word this morning. Would you continue conforming your children. Into the image of your son Christ. Would you make us. As it relates to hospitality. Look more like Jesus. I pray in his name. Amen.